Or you can have a seat this morning. Thank you, Jeff, Nikki, Grace, worship team. Thank you for leading us today. Welcome, welcome to those of you who are gathered, whether you're here in our building or gathering in your living rooms in your pajamas around the Capital District. Thank you for tuning in and watching with us on Facebook or YouTube or however you're finding us today. We're just so glad that God has led you to be part of our gathering. Uh, what a day that we live in. What a weird, weird time that we live in. But we're trying to, our best to stay as connected as possible to be dialed into what God is doing, to be connected with his church family. So wherever you are, thank you for joining. If you do us a favor, if you're here visiting with us, um, we'd love to have some information, uh, just of a record of your visit. Would you um, click on the communication card that's found on our Church Center app? You can find that uh, at, at your app store or your Google store, however you access apps. Look for the Church Center app and uh, download that and then Fill out that communication card for us. If you're online watching with us today, that link will be in the comment section below, but we'd love to just have a record of your visit with us and just say thank you for joining with us, however you're joining with us. Obviously, in this COVID world, the, uh, the name of the game is flexibility, right? So I'm not Tyler, uh, because... Thanks to contact tracing and all kinds of other messes and people's sickness and illness, half the place is just shut down and in quarantine right now. So I'm, I'm like last man standing. So we're, we're good to go this morning. The name of the game is flexibility. I appreciate your patience with me. A couple announcements for you before we jump into the uh, sermon part of our service today. Our kids' ministry preview service will be after the second, the 11 o'clock service today. So at the end of the 11 o'clock, uh, Mike and Josiah are going to be leading our kids' program. You do not want to miss that. They have been preparing for months for this launch. They are so pumped up for this. It's going to happen right here. So if you've got children, uh, preschool through sixth grade or fifth grade, we ask that you just come on back after the 11, or those of you who are going to be here at the 11, you just uh, move forward. And we'll uh, do that right here in the sanctuary. We're previewing the kids' ministry because starting next Sunday, October 4th, we're going to go live with our kids' ministry right here on campus for the first time since March. So we, we've had like a seven-month break, but we're finally jumping back in to live services during the second service. That's a quick note that you need to be aware of. Um, we are going to restrict our kids' ministry to just the second service. So the 11 o'clock service will have our kids' ministries up and running. We're asking that families who are coming to be part of that, that they would register online so that we know what to expect and how to plan for them. So please, um, those of you who have families and they're planning on being part of our kids' ministry next Sunday, please register online. The link will be up today on Facebook or the Church Center app. Our student ministry is preparing for their fall kickoff, and that's going to be entitled Ready, Set, Glow, and that's this Wednesday night, a little bit of a change, 6.30 to 8.30. So if you have a 6th through 12th grader, if you are a 6th through 12th grader, if you happen to know a random 6th through 12th grader in your neighborhood, this Wednesday night we get started with our Ready, Set, Glow student ministry fall kickoff, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. this Wednesday night. Also, a quick note, we're very thankful for your patience helping us um, with the check-in and stuff like that every Sunday morning, stopping out front and just smiling at the ladies behind the desk and getting registered to come on in. Starting next Sunday, because it is October and we are preparing for a blizzard or whatever New York brings us, we're moving registration inside. 
where inside? That's a great question. Uh, they'll be at the exterior doors in front of the nursery. So on the ground level, don't worry if you're confused. Still come to the front of the church. There'll be a big sign helping you know where to go. But we're going to do registration inside in the event that weather turns on us soon. We don't want you freezing out there waiting to get checked in. So that's starting next Sunday. We'll be registering in, um, in the doors downstairs uh, right in front of the nursery. And as always, thank you so much for all of your faithful giving. It is such a joy to watch God provide for the needs of the church through the faithful giving of the church. And it's an encouragement to our elder team, those of us who uh, bear the unique responsibility of trying to steward the gifts of God for this congregation. It has been an exercise in faith, and it has been strengthening to our confidence in God's ability to provide for his church these last six months or seven months. You guys are amazing. God is working through you. As he prompts you to give, you give freely and sacrificially as unto the Lord, right? And we're going to continue to see what God does through all of those gifts. But thank you for your faithful giving. If you've come this morning prepared to give physically here at the church, there's boxes on the back. You can drop that in on the way out. And if you're prepared to give online, there will be a link in the comments below. You can do that. All right? How would I do for announcements? Did I do okay? Somebody make sure Tyler knows that, okay? Because thank you, thank you. Not that I... It really doesn't count now because I asked for it, but I mean, thank you for for the applause. I appreciate that. It's so good to be gathered in God's house this morning. I I drove into the parking lot this morning, and my daughter was with me, and she was a little bit embarrassed by my exuberance in greeting Captain Hughes as he was setting out the signs. But I thought, I said to her, it's Sunday. What do you expect? I'm, I'm jacked up. I'm ready to go. I've been preparing all week for this. I can't wait. So we are here together today, or we're in our rooms in our watching on our phones or TVs, wherever we're watching. But we have come this morning, and I hope you've come prepared. And what I mean by that is I hope you've come ready to receive from the Lord what he desires for us today. I don't, I don't know if this is your practice or not, but it might be smart to think about this. Find a time on a Sunday morning just to quiet your heart before the Lord and prepare for, for gathering with God's people. Maybe on the way in, turn the radio off and just pray. Maybe, maybe find some time with your cup of coffee in the Bible open, and just ask God to provide for you what you need from him, what the church needs from him, so that we come with open minds and tender hearts, that we're, we're ready to be taught the things of God, we're ready to be challenged by the truth of God, even when it confronts us. I hope you prayed for, uh, for me this morning, or whoever is teaching, that, that we would not utter unhelpful garbage which is possible sometimes, that we would not wander away from the scriptures into unhelpful conjecture or personal preferences, but that we would just stay rooted to the scriptures and deliver to God's people what he desires for them, the clear exposition of his word. Pray that you'd pray for me. I hope that you walked in here eager, eager to minister to one another through the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. When we were shut down for those, those 14 weeks, the thing that I missed most, most wasn't seeing all your smiling faces, although talking to a camera was really tough. But it wasn't seeing your smiling faces. It was hearing the sound of you sing that I missed most. Just to encourage each other, as Paul says, with singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I hope you've come today ready for that. And as we gather in this time-tested way, we encourage each other through our, our worship, through song. We encourage each other through um, obeying and yielding to the scriptures. We encourage each other through the conversations we get to have as we study the apostles' doctrine together, as we pray together, 
So we connect and we catch up. The gathering of the church is beautiful. It's nothing to be taken lightly or flippantly. The privilege of serving the church in leadership is not lost on me and my partners here. It is a great gift, and we love you dearly. As we open today, we're going we're gonna to begin in a word of prayer. We would do well to remember not only the local needs in our congregation and community, but also the national needs as well. We live, I don't know if you know this, there's a pandemic going on, uh, so we have all of that mess. Uh, the normal election cycle craziness that makes me want to stab myself in the left eye with a sharp pen. We have the wildfires raging, racial tension, protest, and unrest, and we live in New York, which just automatically makes us angry, right? <laughs> We're tense by default. And then on top of that, we just deal with the needs of the congregation. Marriage is hanging on by a thread and not hanging on. People dealing with anxieties and depression brought on by a lockdown and the uncertainty of the day. Children struggling with new routines, parents wondering how to provide for their children while working and homeschooling because everybody went virtual. The, the fear of being evicted because your job is gone and now you don't know where the money is coming from. On top of all the other stuff right here in our congregation, health tests and scares this week and battling through other issues there, we would do well just to ask God to do what he's famous for, to walk us through the waters, to shut the mouths of lions, to be there in our suffering, to hold us when we're scared. We would do well to ask him to rebuild and edify and build up the church of Jesus. So let's pray. Lord, we ask today for your gracious presence to be felt here and wherever we're watching. Lord, as we sang this morning, you are famous for the miracles. You're you're famous for doing what we never could have imagined or even thought is possible. God, in, in your story, in my life, I've seen you step in in the most unbelievable circumstances and bring about glorious results. We ask today that you would do that for our nation. We ask that you would call us back, that there would be a groundswell of revival in America again, that people's hearts and minds would be tuned in and discerning of the fact that they are empty, empty in the things of this world, but they can be full in you. Lead us, God, to the end of our own resources so that we might find in Christ all that we ask or all that we need, and then some. We pray for the political divides in our nation in our communities, maybe even here in our congregation. We pray for the racial tension in our nation and in our community, possibly here in our congregation. We, we pray for the spirit of unity to be protected here, for the bond of peace to be marked, uh, to, be, to be a banner over the church of Jesus Christ here at Newtown Road. God, help us to not give in to the enemy's desires to split us and divide us. But instead, let us champion what unites us, the glorious grace of Jesus Christ, the indwelling presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit, the common mission you've given the church to go into all the world and make disciples. Let us celebrate the unity that we share and be reminded that that unity is better and stronger and more beautiful than anything this world has to offer. And we pray for those in need, 
those who are dealing with health scares and doctor's tests this week, those who are waiting to hear from COVID tests, those who are stuck in quarantine because of contact tracing, those who are struggling with finances, those who are dealing with mental health struggles that have been brought on through this crisis, those with relationships that are strained, those with prodigal children wandering from you, those whose marriages are falling apart, those who have wandered through the dark waters of divorce over these last six months. God, we ask that you would do what only you can do, minister to them, minister to us, be gracious to us, be good to us, lift our burdens. And as we open the word today, we ask that you would do again what only you can do. Open the blind eyes that we bring to the table. Soften the hard hearts that we possess. Unstop our closed ears and, and give us discerning minds that we might know and understand the truth of your word. And that we might walk in it and find joy to the fullest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. This morning we're going to open our Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Like I said, we've been, we've been running through Mark for a long time. We're getting to the end of his life, of Jesus' life, so I guess that means we're getting closer. Just a few more pages. It's been quite a joy. Today, though, we are, we're looking at a passage that leads us into one of the most important questions that we'll ever be faced with. The question of authority, and specifically the question of Jesus' authority. Now, I personally believe that this, this central issue of the authority of Jesus, which what I mean by that is his right to tell me what to do and not to do, his right to determine what is wrong and right for me and for my family and for the church and for the nation and for the world, his right to preside over all the affairs of men, his authority, that issue of Jesus' authority is a primary obstacle for people coming to faith in Christ. The bottom line is that we simply don't want anyone telling us what to do. We want to be completely in control of our own lives. Those of you who are parents know this. The worst thing you could possibly do is utter some sort of protective boundary to your adolescent children who want more than anything else to be free to determine for themselves all that they get to do. Remember that old Bill Cosby sketch where they wanted chocolate cake for breakfast? Kind of like that. We all want chocolate cake for breakfast. We all want to do what we want to do. How many of you have heard your children fighting and the younger one says, you're not the boss of me. You're not my mom. You ever, you ever leave your kids with a babysitter and come home and they've told, you're not my dad. No, but he's paying me to whoop you. Now knock it off. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. You know, I heard one time that the most popular funeral song in America is not Amazing Grace, but Sinatra's I Did It My Way. What we want to be remembered of us is that we did it our way. I was on my own, pulled myself up by the bootstrap. I can determine. I am capable enough to figure out my own life. If anything, social media has told us that is not true. The lie detector has proved that was a lie. We are not capable enough to handle our own lives. We're a mess. And the human predicament that we want to do it our way confronts Jesus' authority that he is supremely the king and ruler of all creation. We have a, we have a problem there. 
Something's going to give. It's going to be my will or his sovereign authority. Something is going to bend. I just want to cast this out there for you right now. If you're going to battle against the king of the universe over his sovereign will, you're probably going to lose that one. Just eventually, either in this life or in the life to come, your knee will bow and your, heart, your mouth will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So let's look at this, this opportunity that the religious elite crowd had to talk with Jesus about authority. Mark chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 27 and we'll go to verse 33. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I'll ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven... He will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. <laughs> Love this. Love this. All right. First, first portion of this section, I've, I've titled my thoughts around this one, A Veiled Attempt. Because it looks like just a, it, it looks like a little bit of an inquisition. Like the Sanhedrin sent a delegation to go and find Jesus and just, just go interrogate, just ask him a few questions. Just try to figure out what's going on here. So Jesus and his disciples came again into Jerusalem and he again was walking in the temple, which was, which was kind of crazy because Last week, we looked at the day before when he turned over all the temple, uh, all the tables, and he chased the cattle out with a whip, and he, he basically rebuked all the religious people and told them they turned this house of prayer for the nations into a den of thieves and robbers, and it was a pretty cool day. Here he is now coming back to Jerusalem, and he walked in the temple again, again. And as he comes into the temple, he's approached by the religious crowd. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the... These, this is a delegation from the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling body of the Jews. And they come and they ask him a question, but it's not just a little question. It's a loaded one. You'll, we would do well to keep in mind they have been seeking a way to, to ensnare Jesus, to trap him for a long time. This is not a gentle and peaceful interrogation. This isn't a sincere way to find out some good, valuable information. They're asking him in order to trap him. They want to prove to him and to everyone else, they want to get him to admit that he doesn't have the authority to do the things that he's, he's doing. They're trying to prove him illegitimate. And there must be an air of elitism here. This is one of the ongoing questions throughout Mark's gospel, this question of Jesus and his authority. It goes all the way back to the very beginning, to, to Mark chapter 1, when Jesus enters the synagogues, begins to teach with authority, astonishes the crowds, and casts a demon out of a possessed man. And they say, marveling, they say, this is a new teaching with authority. It's a new teaching. And it comes with power. The teaching of the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders is an old teaching. And it's dead and lifeless. And it doesn't possess the passion or power that Jesus brings. 
But the old teaching was done by the official people. They were licensed and appointed for that task. Jesus was illegitimate in that sense. You see, the the scribes, the Pharisees, the, the elders, the chief priests, they'd been born into the right families. They had the right pedigree. They attended the right schools. They had the right credentials. J.C. Ryle notes, they could trace their orders, the line of succession of ministry jobs, they could trace, trace their orders all the way back to Aaron, the first high priest. And he also notes that these elite religious leaders who should have been teaching the people instead aligned themselves against Jesus as bitter enemies. They had, all, they had it all going for them. They were the appointed shepherds of Israel. This guy, Jesus, he didn't have any of that. He's just a carpenter's son, right? Remember Mark 6? Isn't this the carpenter's son? That spirit of elitism? He doesn't have the right credentials for this. Who does he think he is telling us what to do? Who gave him that authority to speak for God or to speak for us? And who does he think he is condemning us? We're the religious leaders. He can't speak on God's behalf. What what gives him the right to offer a new teaching? What's wrong with the old one? They hate Jesus. They perceive him to be an imposter and a fraud. And now they corner him in the temple with his official delegation. They say, who are you? By what authority are you doing these things? And by these things, I mean turning over the tables, chasing cattle out with the whip, condemning the religious people, feeding, feeding thousands, healing sickness, raising the dead, walking on water. By whose authority do you get to do all this stuff? Ah, they've got him now. I'm sure they're like wringing their hands. They can't wait. You see, they had the authority. And they're going to get him to finally admit it in front of all these people. I I don't have any authority. It's your authority. Your authority comes by your family name and your religious training, the appointment to these positions of importance, but I I don't have any of that. So they say, who do you think you are? And Jesus, I've I've titled the next portion, riddle me this. Because in this tense exchange, Jesus, Jesus doesn't actually answer them. He refuses to give way to their demand on him. That's a good point to remember. The God we serve is holy and sovereign. He's the righteous king of the universe. You want to hear him laugh? Tell him your plans. You really want to hear him chuckle? Demand something of him. What right has the clay to demand anything from the potter? Right? Jesus doesn't give in to their demands. He explains what he's saying next week when he talks about the parable of the talents. He teaches them through parables, but here he doesn't doesn't give into that. They're not in control of this situation. They think they are. There's a good word for us in that one. They think they're in control of this situation, but he's about to point out to them that they are far from in a seat of power and authority here. So he follows up the question with a question of his own. Sure, I'll tell you. First, you have to answer a question for me. This feels a little bit like uh, Tim the Enchanter from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Answer these questions three, right? Jesus isn't, isn't being difficult for foolish reasons. There's a method to the madness here. He's, he's leading them into a very specific uh, conclusion for a specific purpose. All of it is working together to reveal to them that he is, in fact, the authority and also to the crowds around him and to us later as well. So he says to them, All right? You tell me, John's baptism, 
Was that from heaven? Was it ordained by God? Was it otherworldly? Was it heavenly? Or was it of men? Discuss. No doubt he's not talking just about the act of baptism, but the entirety of John's message, all of it built up. You'll remember that John, John the Baptist, was preaching a baptism of repentance. He was preaching a coming Messiah. He was offering people a baptism in line with his teaching. So, you religious people, was the prophet who came announcing a coming kingdom and calling people to repent of sin, was that from God or from man? So they huddle up. They don't want to get this wrong. It's an important conversation here. What's the big deal? The deal is actually very big. The crowds are convinced that John was a prophet and had come from God. The crowds are still unsettled that John had died. They were convinced that he brought a word from the Lord and he was killed unjustly, even if the religious crowd was happy to be free of him. All right, guys, let's put our heads together. So they huddle up. I imagine them like a, like a middle school football team, hands on their knees. All right, guys, what do we got? All right, let's talk over the options here. The way I see it, we have two options. One, we could say, yes, it was from heaven. I mean, something crazy was going on. It didn't look like anything we had seen before. And these people here, they'd agree with us. We could say that. One guy says, uh, yeah, I don't mean to be Debbie Downer here or anything, but I think that might put us in a bit of a bind. Don't you think? I mean, if, if we oppose, if we did oppose him that strongly, they're going to wonder why we just said he was, his message was from God. None of us actually believe that, right? If we say that it was from heaven, and we tell them that's our verdict, they'll want to know why we didn't believe in him, why we didn't repent of our sins, why we didn't get baptized and follow him. No, that, that ain't going to work. What, what else do we got? So, well, the other option is we could just say it was from man, which is what we believe anyway. We don't think he was anything special. The guy, the guy wore skins and ate locusts. He was a nut. Let's just say that. Let's tell him, no, it wasn't from heaven. We've, the verdict is, he is from man. Got it. Let's do that. Uh, same guy. I, I don't mean to be the wet blanket here in this game, guys, but I don't think that that's going to work for us either. Well, why not? Well, you see all these people around us? They all think he's a prophet from God. They all think we had him killed unjustly. They're all convinced that he spoke for God himself. If we tell them that John's baptism was nothing special, they're going to turn on us. Well, he only gave us two options. What do we do? We could play rock, paper, scissors. See if that works. We could just play dumb. I got it. Let's just tell them we don't know. Let's get political. Let's get real vague and ambiguous. That way the crowd isn't angry with us. And we don't have to admit that John was a prophet. Genius. Let's go with that. So they turn, they break the huddle, they turn and look at Jesus and say, all right, the verdict is in. We don't know. They lied. They lied to cover their tails. They yielded to their own cowardice. 
They played the political game and just avoided giving a real answer. They knew exactly what they believed. And Jesus knew what they believed. Remember, he knows the thoughts of man. He discerns what's in their hearts. He knew their conversation. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows they're lying to him. They believe that John's baptism and his message was illegitimate, but they're too afraid to say it. So Jesus responds, thank you. That settles it for me. I have no further comment. I'm not talking. I'm I'm not going to tell you anything. You say, well, that sounds harsh. Why would Jesus, or why should Jesus, be bound to disclose himself to somebody who is so insincere and rebellious? Who is so clearly anti-Christian? Isn't that like casting your pearls before swine? This message of his true identity, this beautiful message of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to a group of people who can't even be honest enough to tell him the answer to his question, that lack of integrity, that lack of humility, lack of sincerity, a heart that refused to accept the authority of John, who baptized and announced Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. You see, if they yielded to John's authority, then his approval of Jesus and anointing of Jesus, if you will, at the baptism, would lend legitimacy to Jesus' ministry as well. They refused to accept the authenticity of John's ministry and also the authenticity of Jesus' ministry. So he he chose not to speak to them. Instead, he teaches them in parables. And we'll get to that next week, but at the end of the parable, they're like, I think he's talking about us. (laughs) Yeah, he is. All right. So what? What does all that mean for us? We're getting to like the crazy passages lately. What does all of that mean for us? Okay. There's one big picture application that this passage is really driving to. And then I think a micro-level application we can come to as well. The big picture, right? The big application point, the one big message that we're supposed to receive and ponder is that Jesus indeed possesses the authority of God. John possessed it. He baptizes Jesus. He bestows upon him some sort of that authority. The descending of the Spirit as a dove and the voice from heaven, this is my Son, it, it confirms that Jesus possesses the authority of God. He teaches with authority. He demonstrates he has power over the spirit realm by casting out demons. He heals sickness and disease. He can read the thoughts of people's minds. He walks on water, calms the sea, feeds thousands with loaves and fishes, raises the dead, gives sight to the blind, He's given every indication that he has authority over creation, over people, over the spirit world. He has shown us clearly that he has been given all authority on heaven and earth. It's the clearest application. That's exactly what we're supposed to see. They're trying to trap him into admitting that he has no authority. And what he's saying is, I have all authority. 
That's the big point. Jesus possesses all authority. So what's the micro point? What, what does that mean for you and me? And that's where the rubber really meets the road. If Jesus is really the ultimate authority, if he is the righteous judge over heaven and earth, then that means that his word and his will and his plans and his desires are to rule over and inform and determine the steps and actions of my life. If Jesus is really the ultimate authority over heaven and earth, then he's my ultimate authority as well. And none of us, if we're honest, like that at all. We rebel against that. We push back against that. Our hearts and our minds want autonomy. We want to determine what we do, when we do it, where we go, how we get there. We want to say when my curfew is. I want to say what I can eat for breakfast. I want to be free to do what I want to do. And Jesus said, if you're my disciple, you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The scriptures would teach us that the, the, the life of a Christian disciple, somebody who is following Jesus because they have been saved by grace through faith, is not a life of self-autonomy, but a life of self-denial for the sake of Jesus' control over our lives. True Christians, disciples of Jesus, followers, are people who have died to themselves, have taken up the cross, the way and the identity of Jesus, and who walk with him in worshipful obedience. So then, his word is true and binding on our hearts in every situation at all times. What that means for the Christian is that nothing happens in our day-to-day -day lives that Jesus doesn't have a right over. Nothing. Nothing occurs in our day-to-day -day lives that Christ doesn't have the ability and authority to say, that's mine too, do it this way. The way I interact with my family before work in the morning, he has the right and authority to say, quit being so grumpy, be gracious and kind. The way fathers interact with their children, he has the right to say, I don't care if they were wrong, quit exasperating them. You're driving them to rebellion, stop it, be gentle and kind with them. Regardless of how unreasonable the rules of our parents are, he has every right to say to Christian children, honor your father and mother, that's what honors me. They love you and they're leading you, so listen to them because I'm leading them. Regardless then of what happens at work, he has the right to say, don't you compromise, you maintain worship and integrity, you be good to the employer that, that, that you work for, you serve well the people you work with and who work beneath you, you demonstrate Christian character and maturity. That's mine too. He has every right to tell us in our downtime, no, you're not going to drown your pain in alcohol and substance. You are instead to be filled with the Spirit. He has the right and the authority. What that means then for the Christian is that the application is like six billion applications. Every moment of every day, the greatest joy I heard, by the way, I heard somewhere that pastors really only have like four sermons. 
right? No matter what text they're in, they always come back to the same four big statements, right? This is, if you've been with me for 10 years or so, this is one of mine, right? You, the, no greater joy will you find than in yielding yourself to the leadership and authority of Jesus. You will not find happiness, peace, freedom, fulfillment outside of Jesus' control. The greatest joy you're going to find as a Christian is to die to yourself and give him authority and let him exercise authority over every area of your life. Be filled with and led by the Spirit in glad submission to him. May God help us to find the joy of bowing our hearts and lives before Jesus. And let me just say this once again, church family. If you don't know what he said, you don't know how to obey him. We must make a priority of knowing the mind and the will of God by reading his word and studying his word and singing his word and memorizing his word and praying his word and discussing it. If we don't know what he has said, how will we know if we're faithfully obeying him? Know the word. Yield to him. Find joy there. And if you're not a Christian today, in the room or maybe watching online, and this all doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I hope at least you've seen the central point of conflict here. Those apart from Christ are choosing to live life away from the knowledge of God and his promises, choosing to do it themselves. Following the prince of the power of the air, being led astray in, along with the sons of disobedience, making a wreck along the way. And the greatest joy you can find in your life is not to continue to wander outside of the bounds of God's love and covenant with you, but to repent of sin in that way of life and turn to Jesus for forgiveness and grace and be welcomed into his family and find your identity as a disciple of Jesus. That's where the true life is found. That's the life abundant that Jesus came to give us. This question of Jesus' authority hangs over the passage today. I trust that you have reconciled your own heart with his lordship in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the word and all that it teaches us. Thank you that, God, by your grace you lead us to repentance. It is your kindness, God, that draws us to obedience and faith. And, Lord, thank you that you have so worked the, the details of our lives that this world and what it has to offer will not satisfy our souls. And it still leaves us craving something else. And you've so worked our hearts and our lives to be satisfied in Jesus that when the gospel is presented and meets an empty and hungry heart, we find in you all that we could ever ask or imagine. Lord, I pray for your church here at Newtown Road and around the region and around the world that we would find the greatest of joy, not in demanding our own autonomy and authority, but in finding ourselves gladly and worshipfully submitted to your leadership in our lives. Reign over us, God. Exercise your authority over our lives because it's good for us. And it leads us to fruitfulness and joy in you. Forgive us for the ways that we have cordoned off areas of our hearts and said we don't want you to touch this area. I pray that in this room and wherever we're watching that the Spirit would, would massage the hardness of our hearts and allow us to see those places
where we've asked you to step aside. We don't want your authority over certain areas. We don't want your authority over places of addiction, over places of vengeance. We don't want your authority over broken relationships. We want ours. We want to demand what's right. We want justice. And God, I pray that you would free us from that and lead us again into the joy of full submission to you. There, there is the freedom that we crave. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For those of you watching online, this is where we have to say goodbye. Thank you for tuning in today. Make sure you join us again next week, 9 a.m. and 11. As always, we're open here on campus. We'd love to see you then, but if you're not comfortable with that, we'll look forward to seeing you online next week as well. Those of you who are in the sanctuary, go ahead and stand with us, please, and we'll sing a few more songs in response to what God has shared with us.